Rides, baby, all day long. Get your tickets. Run it again! Run it again! Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is the 14th win Wednesday of the year. Your San Francisco 49ers are on their way to the NFC Championship. And with me this week, uh, to give us the exact PFF grade of Odell Beckham Jr. handing out cash to every LSU player, it's David Newman. 99. Yeah, 99? Yeah. In, in, in the I mean, actually, you know, we don't get a lot of hundreds, but there were a lot of hundreds in this equation here. <laughs> I did not even know that I set you up for such a good joke, but I'm glad yeah, I did. It was good. Did you see, I'm, I'm sure you saw the video of Odell. I, I know you did, because I sent you it sent to it you. You sent it to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is just handing out wads of cash, and my favorite explanation is that uh, apparently these were fake bills. Sure they were. Why Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. There's, I mean, everything after this national championship game was was absurd apparently they were the, all the the lsu players were smoking cigars because they can't they can't celebrate with champagne they're all in college right they're all underage or most of them are underage yeah a lot of them yeah um and and so you've got cigars and there's this idiot police officer who's telling them that they're all going to be subject to arrest if they keep smoking and it's just like it's like what what and then odell beckham Who jr is there handing out hundreds to people ezekiel elliott is in there somehow he, he went to ohio state yeah what the fuck yeah. are you doing here get out of here zeke nobody wants you yeah. so yeah it's it was just it was pretty bonkers but it was, uh, it was a wild game man uh it was a great way i mean the divisional round is like always my favorite week of the year i feel like you know i think it's like the best four game stretch usually that you get you get a you get time to watch each one of them, which is always great in the playoffs. And then, you know, to cap it with the national championship game on Monday, it's just like a good three days of football. And yeah, the, that national championship game was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a hell of a weekend of football, though. Of course, the 49ers absolutely suffocated the Vikings 27 to 10. Man, we uh, we alarmed some folks with our last pod. I'm not, you know, we <laughs> we you know, we came in here and we're like, you know what? This this may not be an easy game. Then I think the Niners are going to win, but the Vikings are no slouch. Uh, and here we are with an absolute suffocation of the Minnesota Vikings, 27 to 10. It was the second worst game of the year for the Vikings based on EPA per play. They basically lost a half point of EPA per play by existing. Yeah, just just trotting out there was was bad news for their chances of scoring. Every time they drop back to pass, and of course dropping back to pass is the thing that generally gets you positive EPA. Running the ball generally gets you negative EPA, uh, unless you're the Ravens, and and passing the ball is what gets you positive EPA. The Vikings lost a half a point per drop back in this game. Yeah, so again, uh, EPA is just essentially measuring like based on the outcome of this play, are you more likely to score or less likely to score, right? Based on, on kind of what happened there. And yeah, it was, it was a bad game. Most plays for the Vikings offense in this game were, were bad plays that were not getting them in better position to score. Um, Like you mentioned uh, for a pass offense to, to be that bad is just pretty alarming because it's generally not too difficult throwing the ball to at least like, get close to breaking even on EPA, right? Usually at least they're around zero or something yeah. like that, unless things are, are really going badly for you. So yeah, to be 
uh, uh, losing a half point per drop back is just kind of insane. And this was a historic performance for the 49ers because if, if you go by the EPA measure, great. If you use a more traditional number, like just regular allowed yards, the Niners 147 yards allowed were the lowest yardage total the Niners have allowed in a playoff game in the Super Bowl era. And, and we're not talking about a team that has like, I don't know, two playoff games under their belt where it's like, oh, well, that makes sense because any record you set in the playoffs is now <laughs> going to be a record. Right. Uh, Instead, it's like, okay, this is a, a franchise with a storied history of playoff games. Yeah. And this was the fewest amount of yards that they've allowed in a playoff game. And, and really, it started with the 49ers taking away absolutely what the Vikings wanted to do. I, I think the Vikings made no secret the type of team they wanted to be. Mike Zimmer is in the same kind of Pete Carroll mold, like play defense, run the ball, control the clock. And the Niners are like, cool. Let's go ahead and stop all those things. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to take all of them away, right? Yeah, I mean, we didn't spend a ton of time talking about the run game uh, in the lead up to it because, you know, surprise, if you've listened to us, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the run game. But um, obviously, that was, like you mentioned, kind of a focus for them early on. Um, we've talked a lot about how the 49ers coverages have kind of evolved over the course of the season, um, and, and they've really... They're, they're no longer the traditional, like, they're, they're not the Legion of Boom, right? And in, in where they're single high every single snap um, and just kind of living out of that cover three, cover one world. And that's just what they do down in, down out. Um, there's still a lot of that. They're still a single high dominant team, but they do mix in a lot of other looks now. And this season, they've been um, really good about mixing up their coverages on the back end. But because they wanted to get that extra guy down in the box, Early on, we saw them go back to kind of that single high setup, get that extra safety down in there, and they just really took away the run game. Um, and when you look at what Minnesota has been all year, right, of course, it's their, they're one of the run-heaviest teams in the league. And then what they want to do passing is allow Cousins to work off that play action and take shots downfield. That's where he's comfortable. We did spend a lot of time talking about getting him out of rhythm and it starts by just making him a drop back passer and not allowing him to kind of, you know, use those play action passes. And so the Niners really took away that run game early that the interior of the Vikings offensive line we knew was going to be a weakness going into this game, but they did not hold up well against that fearsome 49ers front. I mean, you're, you're talking about right away, even uh, Sheldon Day had a pretty good game in the run game. You've got DeForest Buckner, who's playing back up to the kind of levels that you would expect from someone who's going to get a pretty big contract from the 49ers. Uh, and, and they really just had no answer for just a more talented front. And, and that stonewalled the Vikings initially. And then everything just kind of fell apart from there because the Vikings plan was almost like a more tepid version of the Rams Arizona plan where they were going to try to run to the weak side, try to run some screens, try to get some play action boots, but they couldn't get any weak side runs going. They couldn't get any screens because the 49ers pursuit was really, really good. And they really couldn't get any play action boots because the Niners have now against what I'll call kind of like the Shanahan boot teams. What they're starting to do is not necessarily send their backside edge defenders straight up field. But rather, they're having him crash down the line a little bit. But as soon as they see that quarterback keep the ball, they run straight at him. They abandon their run responsibility entirely. Um, and that happened a couple times. And Kirk Cousins had to like stop short and go like, oh, God, uh, and throw the ball because he was about to get smacked. And in some cases, he did. And so the Niners basically said, we know what you're going to do. We know how to stop it. Um, come at me, bro. And, <laughs> and the Vikings couldn't do it. Yeah, it's, I mean, with those boot plays, like, that's the way that you really have to stop. And that's at least like the most consistent way that you can do it. Because 
it's it's so hard for your linebackers to be able to because they got to they have to at least flow somewhat with that run action that you're getting going hard one direction. So they're, you're going to get some movement from all the second level players there. And it's just it's tough, right, um, for them to be able to react and get in position um, to even like make tackles for short gains, let alone like get in position to make plays on the ball or like break up passes or anything like that. So your best way, yeah, is having that guy. And, and they've just really decided that they're going to be OK having him kind of crash late into the run game if they do hand it off and have him pursue down the line. I think they've got I mean they've got some pretty good keys on it too. I think Bosa has been really good at it because you see Bosa, Bosa made a, a, a couple of plays in pursuit down the line of scrimmage yeah. as an unblocked guy on the backside of those runs, right? And making tackles for short gains. He so thumped Dalvin cook a couple of times yeah. screaming down the line and just completely ricocheted off of that poor human. Uh, because when you get that much mass running that direction, he just, it was, it was incredible. I mean, he, he hit him real yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, he made some great plays there. And so it's not like he's abandoning, like he's not, it's not like the run is completely removed from his mind, right? And he's kind of on this one uh, track mind straight to the quarterback. Um, but it is something that they are are very aware of. They they have some good keys as to like situations that they're going to run those boots in. And you see them get right in his face. And if you can get in the quarterback's face uh, as soon as he kind of turns around from that play fake, like it's going to kill a lot of those plays. Yeah, it will. And really, the only time the Vikings had some success was because they targeted Akello Witherspoon, and basically he gets he gets a, a pi <laughs> yeah. pretty early, and then he gets that that deep throw to. to he thought Diggs. he did a great job on that play, though. He thinks he does a great job all of the time. He does. He, he is literally the genesis of rule number three in the drinking game. Yeah. Anytime you see someone give an inc- any, an incomplete sign that is not earned, you drink. It's the Akella Witherspoon rule and and frankly like it, it sucks but I was th- we both have been high on Akella Witherspoon Absolutely. we identified him I think as someone who could be a, a contributor pre-draft he has all the tools he ticks all of our boxes and and I think at this point I am out on him as a starter now I, I'm not gonna be like a lot of people on Twitter that are gonna be like oh just cut him cut him it's like no, he's still a talented individual. Still young, yeah. He's still young, yep. and he it, you you can't have uh you can't run out of talented corners in the NFL nowadays. You want to have those types of players on your roster, uh, and I think he's shown that in spurts he can play well. Yep. I think the difference between him and a better corner or even Mosley is that I think everyone in the NFL is talented enough to get there. They're athletic. They're they're heady. They're whatever it is that they, that they excel at. But the difference between really really good players like Richard Sherman's of the world, uh, and the Akella Witherspoons are the consistency with which they execute at a high level. And the problem with Akella Witherspoon is he's just bouncing all over the place. Sometimes he's got good, good, <laughs> he's got good games, sometimes he, he doesn't. And, and his failure really seems to be the, his ability to play the ball when it's in the air. Before that, he's fine. Once the ball's in the air, dude falls apart. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's by far his biggest struggles right now is is like once that, especially on the downfield stuff, right? Because you see him still, um, you know, one of the things that we really liked about him coming out of college was he's got that great length, right? And and when you pair the the length and the athleticism, it allows him to get to a lot of passes that, you know, a lot of corners that don't have that length and athleticism, like that they wouldn't be able to get to, right? So you see him still on some of the underneath stuff, um, he's made some good plays, right? Where like you, you see him get a pass breakup on a slant, right? Where he can reach those long arms around and be able to get out there and get a hand on it. 
Um, and so the underneath stuff, I think, is is a little bit more in his wheelhouse right now. But once you get on kind of more of the vertical routes and looking downfield, when the ball's in the air, he just kind of falls apart. And I think that was exactly what happened on the Diggs touchdown, right? It, it wasn't it wasn't a good throw. Um, it was a throw that should have been broken up. Like he left it short and inside, like right into a Kelo's leverage. Like he's in that position. Like when you look at where he is in relation to Diggs, he's on that low shoulder, just kind of slightly trail, which is a good position uh, to be in on that kind of downfield sideline route. And it, it's right there for him to at least break it up. And he just falls apart, like literally falls down allows Diggs to undercut it, and then there's just nobody there for the touchdown. And it seems like he he oftentimes tries to play the player and not either the play or the ball. And I mean, it happened against Seattle where, you know, two, two plays that you're that you describe what he does well, that slant breakup against DK Metcalf where he gets his yep. hand in, right? That's the underneath stuff that he's good at. But then just leaves a guy and he's staring at him in the end zone and he leaves Lockett and then tries to lunge at Lockett once the ball's like already there. It's like, no, you got to have a bit more awareness and actually play either the ball um, or, or be better at playing the man. And he seems to not be able to do either very well. So I think I think we have to remember, too, that Akella Witherspoon's someone who probably still has some development left in him. I mean, he Definitely. didn't he didn't start playing football till very late in his collegiate career. He was a soccer player. And and so I think he still has maybe some seasoning to do. And that's cool. You can do that. Just not as a starter in an NFL football game right not now. Not in a conference championship game Correct. for a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, the official position of the Better Rivals podcast right now is we're all E-man. E- yeah. E- E-man gotta, and He-man. Got to do it at this point. Yeah, you have to. He's got to be the player here in, in the NFL championship game. But, you know, the the story of the game in a lot of outlets was the reinforcements really bolstering that 49ers defense and and this is one of the big reasons why the Niners uh, did so well against the Vikings was because they got Jaquaski Tart and Quan Alexander and D Ford back. And really, that's not the tr- that's just not true. <laughs> it's just it's just I mean it's a great story. It is it, a great story. It sounds nice. So let's go really quickly. Those three players, right? Quan Alexander. W- what did he contribute in this game? Well, he runs fast, uh, and he's better than Aziz Al Sheer. But he sure. missed three tackle. Uh, then 49ers missed three tackles all game against the Vikings. Quan Alexander had two of them. Can't make it up, man. No, it's just no. Uh, now I will say this: having him as the weak side backer instead of Al Shaheer, is it an upgrade? Absolutely. Yeah. Is there something to be said about an emotional uplift uh, with the team? Uh, sure, maybe. I'm no sports psychologist, but whatever. But his performance on the field is not the reason why the Niners performed admirably against the Vikings. So let's go down to D Ford. Okay, D Ford. He had that third down sack. Great. I love it. It was a quick win against a guard. Uh, David, tell me why it didn't matter. I mean, it was like late in the game when it was already <laughs> well in hand. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was a good play. Like, I'm not going to. Yeah, no, there's, I love there's nothing I to take great. away from him on on that uh, on the sack. Like, yeah, he it was a clean win, like quick get to the quarterback. Absolutely love it. Um, it was just yeah, I mean, that was kind of the only thing that he really did all game. And it, it wasn't in a big moment that had any sort of impact, right? So it was, it was late in the game. Um, it, it's the Vikings are obviously in pass only mode at, at that point, um, you know, trying to make up a multiple score deficit. Uh, yeah, it, but it's in, just in the order of operations, though, I'm definitely going to put Ford's contributions as actually in the plus column as compared to Quan, where Quan is like had almost no impact on the, the game, like negative or positive. They're both neutral. Um, they have neut- neutral. Impact. I'm going to give the plus for the sack because I can boom. Sure. Then let's get to Jaquaski Tart, though. Jaquaski Tart is 
actually the player that really did indeed help this defense because he is absolutely an upgrade over Marcel Harris. And I was actually very surprised by his speed chasing down Dalvin Cook uh, on a sideline run. I I did not think that he was going to be able to to catch Cook. And instead, it was like, oh, oh, you're you're actually about that fast. That's (laughs) that's surprising. Yeah, because I didn't think he was going to be able to catch him. And he did. A Jaquaski Tart is definitely a player that is good. It's good that he is back because he absolutely helps the Niners. And he did indeed help them against the uh, the Vikings in coverage. Yeah, he like his uh, coverage contributions. This one were limiting, like not even allowing throws into them. Right. So he wasn't targeted at all directly, um, but it was because he was playing very well. I mean, they, you know, the 49ers did. We're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, what was going on with the Vikings pass game and all that here in a minute. But um, he was consistently, you know, in the right spots, like taking away coverage options there and, and preventing those throws from even happening. And yeah, I think he was the the guy that was like very clearly had the most impact. He wasn't, you know, even necessarily one of the best players on the 49ers defense in this game. You know, there were a lot of guys that played really well and, and uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily at the top of that list, but he absolutely, uh, I think, to me, had the largest impact of the three guys returning from injury. Now, even really good players, when they come back, have a little rust that they have to knock off. This happened to Staley when he came back. He had a little bit of rust to knock off and he had to get back into form. I do think Quan and Ford will get a little better and have a bigger impact. Uh, but at yeah. least in this game against the Vikings, they weren't the story of the game. The story of the game really was the performance everywhere else because everyone else had a phenomenal game in a lot of different ways. I think you've got, we talked about the pressure along the front. Um, I mean, you've got Jimmy Ward, who's able to make just sure tackles, which is something he's now very much known for, especially this season that he's been healthy. Um, You've got Emmanuel Mosley, who's able to, again, come in in relief and actually get, you know, in the hip and and play the ball on that deep pass to, uh, to, to Diggs. And so I think, and Richard Sherman, of course, who got the interception. I mean, th- this was a Bosa and effort. Buckner. Oh, Bosa. I, I mean, were the two best players on the field, I think, in, on that side of the ball, at least. Yeah. So the, the only, the, the last thing I'll ask here really is whether or not having D Ford back helped Bosa in some way be better. Because I think that's the other narrative that you often hear. I mean, I think that would make sense if Bosa wasn't doing well when he wasn't in there, right? Like, I think that's an easier narrative to, like, get a hold of if, okay, like, Ford hasn't been in there for however long and Bosa's production is just tanked in that time, right? Just hasn't been the same player and then he comes back and has a big game, right? Like, okay, that that would make a lot of sense that he has some kind of additional impact beyond just what he is contributing um, from his own pressure standpoint, right? Uh, but that just hasn't been the case. Bosa has been amazing regardless of who is in there and uh, is, is going through it's It's not difficult to like watch these plays and just see like, is a guy beating the block or not? Right? Like is, is he beating the guy that's lined up across from him? Yeah. Like that's what Bosa is doing. Like, and uh, it, it doesn't really like the edge, even if they're sliding the other way, if they're sliding his direction, like there's, there's all sorts of ways that they can go defensively up front to be able to single him up and get him one-on-one opportunities. Um, you can't like, you can't have an edge rusher on the other side. That's just going to like completely, you know, take all of that stuff there. Like no, no offense on, uh, when you're going against a defensive line that has this many guys, right you can win inside outside. Like they have guys all over that front that can beat you. Like you're not going to just go and, and say like, we're giving all of our attention, all of our help, all of our tight end and, and back chips 
to D Ford and we're just going to let everybody else go one on one. Like it just yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah, the, the thing I think that that's funniest to me is that, yeah, I, I don't think it was the necessarily the reinforcements that really turned this game around. But I do think that those reinforcements have played and can still play better. And that's and oh, that's sure. and that's the fun thing, right? The fun yeah. thing is that like, yeah, Quan didn't have a great game. Four was OK. He had a sack and, and Tart was good. But those guys can still get better. And they have played better in the past. And that's, I think, the fun thing about thinking about how how good this defense can be is they played that well and they still have room to improve. Absolutely. That, like that for me is the thing to focus on there, right? It, it's that they got those guys back and it's great. Like the, the biggest thing is that they all came back and none of them left hurt, right? Yep. They all stayed healthy. They're all going to be available for the conference championship game. And like, that's the story. You don't have to try to make their impact out to be something bigger than it actually was because they played great defensively. Like, all of the other guys played well, give them the credit and then realize that these three can still play better. And that gives them some room to grow, which is kind of scary. Yeah, it's absolutely scary. I mean, even Solomon Thomas got in the action. And when Solomon, which, so when Solomon Thomas is dunking on your guards, your offense is having a throw bad day. Throw in the towel. It is <laughs> over. It's bad. So the Vikings didn't help themselves either. I mean, you've got conservative Kurt and the Zimmers, uh, which is their new band, by the way. Uh, they, they didn't help themselves both with their conservative play calling or their conservative style of play. So when, when I talk about conservative style of play, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about running on long distance or early downs instead of passing it. And so you think of their, their they only ran the ball 10 times, which makes sense because they got down real quick. Yep. Uh, but eight of their 10 runs were on first or second down. And seven of those runs were with seven or more yards to go. Only one of those runs generated positive EPA. Mike Zimmer was like, we're going to out-execute you. We're going to run the ball. And it doesn't matter how many yards we've got to do it. And, and bro, your offensive line is not that good. No, they just aren't. They're really, yeah. They need to upgrade that offensive line. It's bad. It's, it's not great. And then you've got Kirk Cousins, who really did not want to throw the ball more than like, I don't know, six and a half inches. <laughs> like 16 of his 30 throws targeted players less than five yards down the field. It, it, you might as well run it at that point. So basically, you're running it with your running back and you're running it with your passing back and, because that's basically what it was. And, and, and they just did not pass the ball and, and they did not run the ball. And so all of a sudden, it's like, cool, we have to defend five yards of grass. And that's right, it. Which, which actually they're not really defending. So that's kind of the thing, right? So when you look at how the, the 49ers defense is structured and, and just largely how zone defense in general is structured, right? Um, there, There's a, a, a general rule that within five yards of the line of scrimmage is a no cover zone. We don't want to get defenders lost in that five yard no cover zone because if we have defenders that are up there covering guys, just because of the nature of how passing concepts work, there is going to be likely somebody that's coming in behind them at that intermediate level, right? That you, that they should be getting to. So the general rule for your underneath defenders in zone is I want to get depth and take away the underneath stuff and force the underneath throw there within that five yard window and come up and make a tackle. And that's kind of what the 49ers want to be able to do. Anybody that's zone heavy, that that's the general philosophy that you're working with there, right? We want to take away the deeper stuff for the force, the shorter throws come up and make tackles. And that was what was happening. Like 
you, you, you took away the play action stuff because the run game wasn't uh, effective and they just abandoned it. They, they just really didn't try. Yeah, the, uh, the play action is not like the success of play action is not necessarily dependent on the success of your run game. Right. But the Vikings just still abandoned it because their run game wasn't working. Exactly. Like they still, you know, are, are kind of that doesn't mean that coaches don't believe that the success Correct. of their run game, right, uh, influences the success of their play action game. And so when they saw that essentially their run game wasn't working, well, then they just went into drop back pass mode. And one of the things that we talked about um, was how important it was to get Cousins out of rhythm, how when he's uh, able to just kind of like drop back, be comfortable in the pocket, get the ball out to his first looks and and kind of uh, not really be bothered a whole lot. He's very good, like which not, you know, you would think NFL quarterbacks. Yeah, they should all be pretty good in that situation, but it's surprisingly not all of them are, are, that, are that great so he's been really really good in those situations but if you can take him out of rhythm that's when things get really dicey with him he really kind of tanks and and the thing about uh getting him out of rhythm is it doesn't have to be pressure and, and so while he was pressured a lot he wasn't really pressured early a lot of times what it was is the coverage was great so when he would hit that last step in his drop he's looking where he wants to go with his first read that stuff's covered up or it's at least cloudy enough that he's really hesitant about letting it go. And then he either is looking to move on to the next read, which is covered. And at that point, that's when your pressure is getting there, right? So the pressure is coming just a, a touch later to make sure that he can't sit in there all day and, and kind of get to his second and third reads consistently. And so that was kind of the formula is they, they had the first look stuff covered and that was kind of getting him a little bit panicky there. And then what he would do is just is at the first sign of pressure or sometimes even before pressure really got there. Check it down. Check it down. And, and so that was where you got all of those throws that were there um, within that five yard window. I mean, this rarely tested them down the field because everything was covered. Um, so it was just exactly what you want as a defense from the 49ers perspective. And it, it was just way overboard conservative and and just a, especially once you're down like you've got to take some risk and he was yeah. just refusing to do that and then you get to the, the dominant 49ers run game in the game against the vikings the 49ers had more rushing yards 186 than minnesota had total yards 147 is that good that's that's think, pretty good that's pretty good that's pretty good yeah uh i don't know what the analytics say there <laughs> but you know i'm gonna go ahead and use my abacus and say 186 is more than 147 uh, so this is interestingly opposite of what the 49ers run game has been all year, not in terms of its effectiveness, but in terms of how many yards they are able to get regularly uh, in the run game. Oftentimes when you see the the like 4.6 yards of carry or 4.8 yards of carry, it's a bit of a misnomer, right? Those averages are brought up or brought down by the, the big runs or the big losses. You, it's not that you can just run the ball three times and get 12 yards and pick up a first down. It's that usually it's like, oh, you get one yard, you get two yards, and you get nine yards. Then yeah. you get three yards, then you get 15 yards. Then you get one yard, then you get two yards, then you lose a yard. That's been the Niners' run game so far uh, this year. But in the game against the Vikings, it actually was like you're going to get four yards every single time. <laughs> <laughs> like every, it was, it was kind of reminiscent of a college game, right? So I think... Um, when, when you get down to the college level, it kind of changes the calculus a little bit there. We've relegated the Vikings to the Mac in yeah. 29 minutes. <laughs> I'll give them the SEC. It's fine. They can, they can at least get in there. Um, but yeah, so, so like when you get to the college level, right, there's a, a much larger disparity in talent level. And so a lot of the things that we talk about a lot, like, you know, running the ball, just flat out not being as efficient as throwing the ball at the NFL level. Um, 
that isn't doesn't always have to be true. It's still kind of like gen- passing the ball at college is still better than running the ball. But that gap can shrink when you get wide gaps in talent, right? Where uh, if you get Clemson rolling up against literally anybody in the ACC because they're all fucking terrible, uh, <laughs> like they're just they're so much better than the other team that it doesn't really matter what they do. They can go out there and they could run the ball 50 times and they're still going to blow those teams out, right? Because they're just physically dominating them at every at every spot. Um, that's kind of what it felt like in this game where it was just like the 49ers offensive line just consistently down in and down out was beating up the defensive line of the Vikings. And it wasn't that there were only, I mean, they ran the ball 43 times when you remove the, the quarterback sneaks and the kneel downs, 43 actual rushing attempts in this game only had three that went for 10 or more yards. It was just four and five and six every single time that they wanted to hand the ball off. And it was just because they were just consistently getting movement, consistently getting the better of that defensive line there. And it was just, uh, I mean, it was like tiring just even to watch it. It was. You, you think of the the run success. Typically, running the ball does get you a negative EPA. And yet the Niners generated a positive EPA on 51% of their runs. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. It really is. And, and, and this is not against... Uh, this is not against an SEC defensive line. This is against a <laughs> defensive line that has Everson Griffin Pretty on good. it. Pretty good. Yeah, and Daniil Hunter. And and while you know Daniel Hunter's probably a, a bit, bit better as a pass rusher than he is as a run blocker, he's not a slouch as a run blocker. He's still and a very, got, very good or run defender, I should say. They've got some good guys on the inside, too. Yeah. Linval Joseph, is, Joseph is, a, yeah. is a good guy, um, is a good player in there. Um, they've got some solid interior players yeah. as well. But Ben Garland played a really, really good game. I think he's played. Pro- he played probably one of his better games on the year in this game against the Vikings which I think is great, yep. especially going to the championship game. That's, sure. that's good. And, and of course, you've got Kittle, who only had, what, like 16 yards in, in the, the yeah. passing game. But in the run game, he was an absolute dominant force. And, and of course, the, the cold open to the show was him talking <laughs> about getting free rides because he took a couple people for a ride. It was fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I think you, when you look at it, kind of the the run block, run defense grades in this, like, I mean, it, it really paints the picture pretty clearly where you look at nearly every, I think it was four of the five offensive linemen plus Kittle all had run block grades over 70. So above average or better, essentially. While you These look are at PFF run grades. Yes. Um, when you look at the front seven for Minnesota, all of those guys had run defense grades in the 50s. It was not good. It's below average. Um, and, and it was just, it was, there There wasn't one guy that you could even point to that was like, oh yeah, he had a solid game. Like, yeah. no, they just, everybody up front was getting kind of consistently dominated and and that was what allowed them to just kind of continue running the ball, milk that clock and, and run yeah. out the game. Now, the only quibble I had really with the game on the whole was that I did feel like Shanahan got a little conservative, especially down in the red zone on fourth and two. Um, This is when the game was still pretty close. The Niners were up 14 to 10 and it's fourth and two. You're on the 17. At this point, the game is still very much in hand. You're you're still in a situation that's neutral. And, And he decides to go for the field goal. I would have much preferred to go for the first down, get that, you know, likely convert because at that point you're still over a 50% conversion rate, especially with how your offense has been moving the ball. Exactly. At that point in the game, this is before the Jimmy Garoppolo's um, kind of, you know, brain farts. And, and then all of a sudden now you get the game out of hand. 
And so I think, or not the game out of hand, but the onslaught begins a little earlier. And while the score, I think, was um, the story of the game immediately afterwards was like, that game did not feel as close as even the 27 to 10 score appeared to be. This felt like it, like a 41 to 10 drubbing. <laughs> and, and yet the, the Niners only had, uh, you know, 27 points to, to show for it. And, and yeah, like, of course, the strategy worked. They were able to run. They ran effectively. They had positive EPA on over 51% of their runs. We just told you that. And, but I do think that it, to take your, your foot off the gas pedal, you know, I mean, we saw what happened to the poor, the poor, poor. Oh, man. Uh, oh God. The, the Texans. When they thought, I mean, 24 points ain't going to do it. And, and, while, and while, you know, certainly the Vikings offense is not the Chiefs offense, there's a reason why you want to score more points because you want to put the game out of hand to the point where it is impossible for them to recover. Um, and, and kicking field goals on fourth and two just ain't it. But I do think that Shanahan does tend to get a bit more conservative against teams that he thinks he probably can, can beat just over the course of the game. Like he doesn't. Yeah take high variant strategies if he doesn't have to. Um, whereas I think against teams like New Orleans, he does take high variant strategies. And I think this was the example of that. But, you know, that's that's probably the only quibble in the game. Uh, other than that, it was fun to just beat him down. Yeah. I mean, that was something that, um, you know, George and Eric talked about on the PFF forecast actually was how, uh, yeah, it's kind of been borne out to you in, in our data that looks at kind of coaching coaches decision making. Um where he is in games in which the 49ers are are kind of heavily favored, he is far more conservative than in games that are tighter, right? Against closer competition. Um, and it's a little, I mean, you, you understand it to a degree, right? Where um, at least he's not going over, It's at least it's not the, the reverse of that, right? Where he's getting overly conservative against uh, teams when, when they're either an underdog or it's a much closer matchup. Um, but it's still, yeah, you, you want to kind of see them kind of step on the throat a little bit, you know, and, and when they are a better team than, than the opponent, like go out there and put them away, right. Put them away early and, and have the confidence in your offense, right. That has been again, chipping away four five, six yards at a time to be able to go out and get, uh, you know, that two yards and fourth and two. And then if it doesn't happen, then you're still confident because your defense has been kicking ass and they're all the way yeah. back at the 17, right? That, that's the argument that I don't understand is they're like, oh, well, you know, if you if you don't make it, then it's still a one score game. And and now, you know, the Vikings have the ball. And it's like, yeah, but the argument is that the defense has been playing so well yeah. that you just want to take the points and kick the ball off. It's like if the defense has been playing so well, then you're you starting be, a drive at the 17 yard line. You should be willing to, right. Like it, it always baffles me how um, people want to use the taking the conservative approach as the one that, that shows having trust in your defense or having trust, you know, in your, your team to be able to put it away where it's like, no, being aggressive, like being riskier and kind of maybe being a little bit willing, which this isn't even putting them in a bad situation, but, yeah. but being willing to do that is showing the trust that like, hey, if this doesn't work out, which I think it will, but if it doesn't, like, I trust that these guys are going to bail me out of this, right? Yeah. It, that's where the trust comes in. And so, yeah, asking uh, the 49ers defense to go out there, pinning them inside their own 20, like, you know, to, to start, like, that drive's going to likely do what every other drive did, which is fail and yeah. end in a punt. Exactly. So, I mean, overall, it was a game where the, the Niners, for one reason or another, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo basically had zero impact on the game after once the Niners started to run the ball, yeah. um, in part because he just he was having another one of his shaky games. I mean, those, those two 
turnover-worthy throws, one of which was actually a turnover. Um, and, and really, I think the series that saved the game was when the defense forced a field goal. Because them forcing that field goal and, and now going into halftime, you're still up despite that, yep. that interception. You know, and, and Jimmy's still trying to do it. He's still trying to give it away. I mean, we did say it was going to be a game where it was strength versus strength. And the, the Vikings defending the middle of the field, well, you saw exactly why they were so good at defending the middle of the field. And that's because their linebackers were good in coverage and they got depth. And Kendricks did. Uh, so he made a couple of really, really amazing plays. And Jimmy thought he could get the ball in there. And turns out, you know what? They're actually, they get paid to play defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of them, like that, the first one, the one that wasn't an interception was, uh, was worse to me than even the interception was. Yeah. It was just like, I have you have no idea there you, you like you look for every way to try to justify right like okay I, I want to be able to as much as I can put myself in his shoes and like try to see what what has he seen like is it possible that he thought that something was happening right and it just didn't work out that way like is there any sort of like excuse that you can kind of make for him right in, in that situation and the first one there's just not like it, it was just like Kendricks is the guy he's literally keen what to decide whether or not to make this throw Kendricks is in good position and he decides like, Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to let it go anyway. Um, it's like when you play Madden and you're like, all right, if this guy does this, I'm going to throw it to this guy. And if this guy does that, I'm going to throw it to the other guy. And the guy, like he, he like, he's like, Oh, I should, no, I'm still going to throw it to that guy. Just, you mash the button. You have your, your thumb over the X and you just mash it. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, it's like, okay, this is my money play. The tight end is always open when I run this play and you don't even bother to check to see whether the tight end is actually open before you throw. And you're just like, I'm fucking throwing to the tight end. <laughs> like that's kind of like what that one was like. It's just like, I have eyes only for Kittle, which we've talked about, like happens a lot. Like yeah. that's, it's kind of been a thing, especially like on third downs where it's just like, I don't care what else is happening. Like I, I can only see Kittle here and I'm letting it go no matter what. And like Kittle saves him from an interception on that play. The second time Kittle's done that. Yeah. Uh, and so you get that one. And then the other one, I think was a little bit more defensible. There's at least like potentially a window there. It's, it, it would be a tough throw to make. You got to get it up and over Kendricks to get there, uh, which he obviously didn't do. Um, but you can at least like justify why he made that throw. It just ultimately was a poor throw, poor yeah. execution. Yeah, on, that's, on that that's part I it, think right? that's probably what I would say is that you you can absolutely understand poor execution, right? Like you try to shoot your shot and you yep. miss. It happens, For right? Sure. The decision makes sense. The process makes sense. You know, you're, you're going to get better at those at executing those throws. Yeah. The ones that always worry me are the, the what the hell were you thinking? Like, yeah, why did you think like, did you yeah. even see that guy there? Yeah. Right? And that's been kind of the concerning thing. Like it's seen that underneath coverage um, that is worrisome because even bad linebackers. I mean, Kendricks has obviously been very good this year, been an all pro caliber linebacker. Um, you know, if you think just to name somebody like Blake Martinez on the Packers is not that guy. But guess what? He can maybe catch it if you throw it right to him. Yeah. Like, you know, he's going to uh, be, be a lot better when you just do that as opposed to like making him work for it. So I think it's concerning. Yeah, that he just. Uh, kind of continues to misread that underneath coverage. Despite stuff. that, it was a fun game to watch, at least for a Niners fan that gets really, really nervous when things get close. I'm glad that it was <laughs> not close. I'm glad the Niners had yeah. the game in hand, and I'm glad that I uh, was able to suffer through the flu this weekend and not have to worry about losing my goddamn mind with the Niners. But the, the NFC Championship game, you know, it's coming up. It's next week. I'm super excited about Ready. it. This was the path we wanted. We said that 
we thought that the 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 best path for the Niners to make it to the Super Bowl was going to be Vikings Packers. Didn't think it was going to happen, and here we are. But before we get to the preview of the game against the Packers, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right, NFC Championship game, second NFC Championship game podcast in Better Rivals history. Wow, I know that's crazy, man. I know. Uh, hey, we, the last time worked out well. It worked out well. Uh, no, actually, this no, is the, the third. third. I was gonna say we we both I've, completely <laughs> blocked out the one that did not work out so well. I completely, <laughs> but completely forgot about that one. Wow. Yeah, I don't like to think about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely don't. That was actually a good article in the Athletic today. Barrows uh, had Sherman walk him through. Uh, like the, the basically like the, the second by second of that play. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and apparently yeah, Sherman lost the ball in the lights. He couldn't actually see the ball until it was like basically on him, and that's why he swiped it and didn't try to go for the pick. Um, so, you know, wow. it's just one of those little minute yeah. things in history that could have gone the other way. But, you know, this is absolutely the path we wanted. First the Vikings and the Packers. And, and I mean, we wanted this path partially because of the absolute drubbing that the Niners laid at the Packers in Week 12. And, you know, we, we just faced the Vikings and the Vikings were a team where we said, you know, that that game in 2018 probably doesn't have too much of a bearing here on, on, on this game. It's been a year. Teams are different. Style is different. Scheme is different, um, at least for the Vikings on defense. But this is probably going to be a, a bit more or, or the week 12 game probably will have a bit more weight in what happens in this game, not just in how they play each other, but in terms of the game plan as well. And I think at the top, it would be an absolute mistake for 49ers fans to think that just because the Niners completely demolished the Packers in week 12, that they should expect something similar this week. Because you should not expect Aaron Rodgers to have a worse game than the worst game of his career. And that's exactly what it was in week 12. He had 104 passing yards. He had the lowest PFF passing grade of his career. His first 18 attempts went for just 39 total yards. God, It was his low... It was... Also, the lowest total of passing yards for an NFL quarterback with 20-plus attempts since 1950. Like, it was historically bad. And, and I don't think that you should expect Aaron Rodgers to continue to be historically bad against this defense, even though uh, it's, a, it's a very, very good defense. Yeah, when I was going through, I was, like, looking to... When I saw how low his grade was in that game, and I started, like, flipping through the, the rest... The other seasons there to, like, look at the game grades and see which ones were close. I mean... He's only even had a couple games in his entire career that even approach it. You know, they get down there. So his grade, it was like a 41.1 was his grade against the 49ers in week 12. And like, yeah, there's only a few other games that even approach that level of bad. So, yeah, I think right off the top, you have to expect that Aaron Rodgers is going to be at least a little bit better. Right. Um, and I think the the big question is, where does that fall? Where does that better fall between what he's been for a large part of the season, which is like kind of, you know, good, but not great. Um, and what he was against Seattle in, in the last round of the playoffs here, which was kind of vintage Aaron Rodgers, where he was just on and, and kind of uh, dealing everywhere, hitting the downfield throws and just kind of like the accuracy was there. Everything that you've kind of like think of when you think of good Aaron Rodgers was, was all on display in that game. And so the the big question, I think, right off the top is, is yeah, where does he fall on that spectrum? Does, do we get vintage Aaron Rodgers in which that, you know, is is kind of a little bit scary or do we get manageable Aaron Rodgers? You know, that that is, I think, uh, a much easier path to victory. Yeah. You know, when I when I think about where he's likely to land on the spectrum, I think it's probably going to be closer to what we've seen all year. 
as long as the Niners don't give him a ton of time to throw what was his favorite route against the Seahawks, which was the slot fade, which I think is hilarious because that's usually Russell Wilson's route. And, and oh man, yeah, the one one of them that he hit to Devonte yeah. was just oh so good. All of them that he hit to Devonte. I mean, it was the. Did you see the route concept on the Devonte? I I forget how many did he score multiple times. The the touchdown was on the left hand side to Devonte Adams. No, I don't remember it off the top of my head was absolutely dirty. So we get two receivers on that side. A lot of times what you'll see um, that, that's really common on teams, they'll do a switch release, right? Which is basically the outside receiver releases inside oh, and yes. becomes I do remember this. Slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he then actually you, he returns the route back to the sideline. Right. And so normally you would get, yeah, and then the slot goes outside and he becomes effectively the outside receiver, right? And then you get your vertical routes from there. They faked it. And and uh, Seattle was in man coverage. And so you see the Seattle defensive backs start to kind of like follow it and switch um, like they would on on switch release. And then they both just break. And so like Adams breaks back out toward uh, the pylon on the outside fade. And then the inside guy, I mean, he's really just a decoy. They know that this is going to like totally fuck their world up. Yeah. And and it did, man. It was it was a dirty route. Like I can just. I had nightmares in my mind to seeing Akello spin in circles uh, <laughs> at this route from Devante. Just like, oh no, please don't let it happen. Well, they also had a you know a fake bubble with with Devante just running straight, and and this is a con- this is not a play that's unique to the Packers, but it is one where like, you fake the screen, and then it looks like the wide receiver's blocking, and just run him straight. He was completely uncovered. Um, so I mean, you had Lafleur who called a couple of really good plays in this game, and I think that's going to be. That it's going to be interesting to see what Lafleur's plan is going into this second matchup because he has said that it's going to be a completely different plan. He's going to tear up the old plan, which obviously you sure. should. <laughs> um, and and he's going to have a completely different plan. I'm curious what because they're going to throw the kitchen sink at the Niners' defense. They have to. They should. Uh, they are the underdog, and they should play with high variance strategies. They should play with some kind of a trick play or something up their sleeve. And and so I'm curious to see what they're going to throw at them in it, because I think the Niners defense is going to have to be prepared for something. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to feel like they're going to look for stuff to um, try to like, yeah, scheme up. You, you have to try to find ways to create breakdowns in the communication coverage. Right. Like Fortnite has been so good on the back end this year and especially lately, like in this in the Vikings game, they were they were just fantastic. Right. Where just every day, everybody's kind of on the same page. And and you don't see guys running free wide open, you know, that the, that are available for the quarterback there. And so what you're trying to do with things like, you know, just thinking about that one that it just talked about where you kind of fake the switch release. Right. It's talking about like, OK, we know the preparation going into that is like we know that when when they're in man coverage against this kind of formation, this is how the cornerbacks like to play it. Right. They, they like to kind of switch these releases. And so when we do this, we can anticipate that they're going to play it like they played it. And that's going to put them in a bad situation, right? So you're kind of looking. That's the thing that Shanahan does so well with zone coverages is he just he's he knows your rules in your zone coverage and how you're going to react to certain route combinations. And he uses that to his advantage to create breakdowns in the coverage. And and that's you have to think that LaFleur has shown a little bit of it. You know, you think he learned at least a little bit of something from uh, from Shanahan and McVay. So uh yeah you you gotta think that they're gonna try to throw some of that stuff at them and it's gonna be important for the communication um for the 49ers secondary to be on point yeah earl mitchell played 11 snaps against the vikings uh he apparently said that 
Solomon Thomas at one point looked at him and said, yo, what? this is a screen. Watch this screen. Uh, and it was a screen. So again, even Solomon Thomas is dialed in. <laughs> and that's if, if you can get Solomon Thomas dialed in against the Packers, it's bad news, man. It's, uh, it's gonna things be bad are going news. well for yeah. the Niners at that point. But so you, you've got to think to yourself that if, if you don't expect as bad of a performance as you had from Aaron Rodgers in this game, then that means you're probably going to need a performance from Jimmy that is unlike the one that he had against the Minnesota Vikings. Quite frankly, it is the NFC Championship game. You cannot afford a down performance. I, I don't know. I, I think that the the Niners have they've had a bit of a luxury in that they've been able to develop different parts of themselves as a team to win in different ways. Not every team can do that. Yep. And, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why they're the number one seed and why they are in the NFC Championship game. And before the Vikings game, I tweeted that this this season has felt a bit like like a fantasy epic, and the Niners are the hero. And they've been kind of skill building and training off in some, you know, kind of forest area. And like first it was their run game and then it was their defense and then it was their passing attack. And and like every time they've added a new skill, you know, and then it, then it was like, oh, now we've got to test our skill against these elite hordes of, of teams that are coming <laughs> in waves over and over and over again. And, and now they're getting closer to that final boss battle and they've got to use all the skills that they've learned over the course of this long, you know, journey and epic and and they w- had to go back to basics and use the running game against the Vikings. And I think this is going to be one of those games where they're probably going to have to rely on their passing game because I don't know that they're just going to be able to pound it down Green Bay's throat in in this game. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to put up a couple of points, and, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to have one of his traditional bounce-back games, which is something he does often when he has a really crappy game. <laughs> he usually turns around and has a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, looking at, at Rodgers and why he was bad in, in that last game, and it was like, yes, the, some obviously the 49ers and, and what they were doing offensively obviously played a role anytime you have a, a performance that's that bad. But there were also like a, a good amount of unforced errors, right, where it's just throws that he's missing. And, and then when you watch him in that Seattle game and you see the same throws and the coverage isn't necessarily markedly different from what you saw in the 49ers game, but the throws are on target, right? And that makes all the, obviously all the difference in the world, and and that leads to the big plays. And so I think when when you see him uh, or imagine him connecting on at least more of those, even if it's not quite to the Seattle level, like yeah, the 49ers offense has to be able to respond, right? And and Jimmy has to be able to, I think, uh, be able to accurately place balls. Like that's really the thing, you know. I think going into the season, that would have been the last thing that I would expect to be really worried about with Garoppolo, but good. The difference between good Jimmy and bad Jimmy beyond whether he sees linebackers or not is whether the, the ball is, is placed accurately. Right. Uh, I think you'd look at this Minnesota game and it was a perfect example. Like, yes, there, there were, you know, a a good number of completions like, and and that part was all fine. And yeah, they didn't ask a lot from him, but when they threw it, uh, you know, they, they had some success, I guess there were some positive throws in there, especially in the opening draft. Um, yeah, that early on, especially, um, but you look at the ball location on the majority of those throws and it just isn't there. Yeah. Like the, the first couple throws that he had are kind of off the mark. You had, you had the, the slant, I think to Debo, it was, that was like behind Debo behind him. That makes it a tough catch. Um, you had the, the next one on an out route to Kittle open at the sticks that he leaves a little bit in front, makes that a tough catch. Um, you know, you had a couple to Bourne that... Um, the one to Bourne on third down where it the was in the middle one. of the field. Yeah, yeah, yep, that was definitely um, off. I mean, the, his probably his best throw 
And the one where I can think to myself, yeah, that was absolutely on target was the uh, the throw on the over to Sanders. Yes, that was by far like, like that was one of his best throws all season. Honestly, yeah. like that was up there um, was definitely his best throw in this game. Um, but that was kind of it. Like you, when you look at a lot of the other positive throws, it's all stuff that that is that was pretty open underneath, like kind of more expected type throws. Like he wasn't really um, doing anything there, you know, beyond above and beyond what you would expect from just kind of generic quarterback play. And so I think the the thing that we've you know come to realize with this team and where it's at now is the the targets that they have are you know at least the top three and in, in Sanders and Debo and Kittle are going to be there they're they're going to win some matchups like they're going to be available for you we can rely on Shanahan creating open opportunities like almost half of Jimmy's throws this year were to, th- to receivers who were open right uh, had more than a yard of separation from the nearest defender and so it's just a matter of whether he's taking full advantage of those or not the difference is if I hit this guy kind of on frame or in stride that allows these guys who are so good after the catch to get those extra yards and we're creating explosive plays for the offense. But when they're behind or they're, they're low and they're taking the guy to the ground or they're allowing the defender to catch up and kind of close that distance and make a tackle like that's the difference, right? That's the difference in these games. And so we need good Jimmy Garoppolo that is hitting these open throws on target. And that's going to be a big, big part of this game. Now, of the four remaining quarterbacks left in the playoffs, Jimmy Garoppolo's turnover-worthy play percentage is the highest of the four. All the other, all three other quarterbacks are under three percent in terms of turnover-worthy play. Jimmy Garoppolo is close to four percent, three point nine nine, right up there at four. But we talked last week about how Jimmy does play better against single high defenses, and we saw that actually against the Vikings because that opening drive, the Vikings yep. stopped. They wanted to stop the run. And so they went, they came out in a single high defense and Jimmy's carving them up, carving them up, moving right down the field. And and now you get to the Packers game and the Packers also play uh, there or rather they are a single high dominant team. So that definitely bodes well for Jimmy. Now we could see some, some weirder exotic looks. I think in that week 12 game against the Packers, they actually played a couple three safety looks. Uh, one was like a Tampa two look. The other was basically like a robber look. So you could see some three safety looks. You could see a couple different things that the Packers are going to do to try to confuse Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and make him not see the field super well. So I think you, you're probably going to have, or rather the, the defense, the Packers play is one that, that Garoppolo generally performs well against, but news today is that George Kittle has ankle soreness. Uh, and so he was held out of the beginning part of practice do I think it will impact whether or not Kittle plays? Absolutely not. Uh, what, would I prefer to see just about any other player on the injury report? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Almost literally anyone else. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, as long as we're not, yeah, beyond Garoppolo and like having to to trot out, you know, Bathard or Mullins here, like that's the only thing that's worse. Yeah. Uh, so it, George Kittle, of course, in the last match had six catches, 129 yards and a touchdown against the Packers. So he is definitely going to be someone that the Packers are going to key on. But ultimately, I think what's going to help Garoppolo perform up to the level that he may need to in order to keep pace with the Packers in this game is going to be blocking the Smiths because if they can give Jimmy time, Jimmy can indeed carve this single high defense up. 
Now, in the first matchup against the 49ers, both of them had um, just okay games, not great games, in part because of the score, but in part because Brunskill and McGlinchey, this is back when Brunskill uh, was replacing school, did a good job of protecting Jimmy against the Smiths in Week 12. Uh, and Mike Penn's not really a blitzer. His blitz percentage is 24%. That puts him 26th in the league. So he does like to rush with four, and he doesn't like to do a whole lot of stunting. So this is going to be a uh, a matchup where it's going to be the tackles versus the edge rushers. And right now, I'm, I'm liking McGlinchey and Staley uh, against the Smiths. And if they can keep Jimmy upright and they can give him some time, I think Jimmy's going to be able to find some windows and find some ways to beat him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, Jimmy, like all quarterbacks, you know, to, to a degree, uh, is definitely been better from clean pockets. You know, if you can give him that time, even even if the accuracy isn't completely on point, he's at least putting the thing that he is good at is is at least putting it in a catchable location. He doesn't have like a high percentage of just uncatchable complete misses, right? Where where he's not even giving the guy a chance. So if you give him some time in the pocket and can block those guys up, there's a good chance that you're at least going to be getting catchable balls thrown to to your receivers, and then we know that those guys can make some things happen from from that point. But yeah, I think it, looking at the results from the previous game against those two is definitely encouraging because the the only guy that they really had any success against isn't going to be playing in this game, which is Justin School, right? That was uh, the the one guy that Zedarius Smith kind of had uh, a little bit of success with. But beyond that, I think when you look at, at the, the starting tackles with Staley and McGlinchey out there, they were successful. Um, and you would kind of hope that that continues there, but they are coming off. I mean, you look at both Smiths against this game in Seattle, granted against a much worse offensive line, but uh, they were very, very active in bothering Russell Wilson in that game. You know, I think uh, Zadarius had 11 pressures. Preston Smith had seven pressures, so they were getting after it, but those guys are, are the the clear two ones that you have to worry about. They don't really have a lot of other guys. Rashawn Gary's there, but... He's not really any good. So as long as you like don't fall over when he runs in a straight line at you, you're probably going to be fine against him. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it's really blocking up these other guys, making sure uh, that they're not bothering Jimmy. And, and I think that that's going to lead to, yeah, a much higher success rate for your offense, for your pass offense. Now, the line in the game is the 49ers by seven and a half and the over under is forty five and a half. Uh, do you think the Niners cover uh, and what do you think happens with the over under? Uh, I think it goes over. Uh, I yeah, I think it I goes over think as goes well, over. but I don't think the Niners cover. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if it's as big of a blowout. I mean, maybe it's just like I, I, I like the Vikings game. I mean, well, which I think a lot of what we said is at least from the 49ers offensive perspective held true. A lot of the bad kind of matchups that, that we talked about passing game wise, like we did see definitely some of that show up. Um, you know, I, I, I just would be most surprised that if Aaron Rodgers is terrible again. And I think yeah. that just kind of naturally is going to lend itself to a closer game. Um, I think they'll get a little bit more offensively. Uh, I, I would, yeah, lean towards the Packers covering. Um, but I do think, again, I think the 49ers are a better team. They're a better team across yeah. the board. That's what I keep coming back to. I, I think to myself, the, the, are the, are the, the Vic- I, I think, at, at, honestly, the Vikings may even be a more talented team than the Packers, especially on offense. I think they've got more pieces at, the, at receiver, and their running back is yeah. equally as good, if not better. 
Um, I, I think the key really is going to be Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is is light years ahead of Kirk Cousins. And I think on defense, that Minnesota defense also has some pieces that are a bit more scary than uh, than the Green Bay defense, even though the Green Bay defense absolutely has, you know, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage and a couple players that, you, you know, yeah. are, are certainly not. Bad. Alexander. Yeah. yeah I mean, they've, Jared got, Alexander. they've got some solid players. For but there. I think at the end of the day, this is one of the worst 11 and three teams in or uh, 13 and three teams in history. Uh, they won a lot of really, really close games, and and that that kind of thing is just not sustainable. Careful, don't tear, tell Aaron Nagler that. Oh uh, wow, I've heard it's bad. No, well, it's it's fine. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like you. I think Kevin Clark said it best when he's like, I, I'd rather be one of the worst eleven and three teams in history than be one of the best three and eleven teams in history. Sure, because uh, yeah. guess what? At the end of the day, you're still thirteen and three. Yeah, <laughs> um, for and sure. you're still in the NFC Championship game. You know what I mean? Um, but I do think the Niners are a more complete team. I do think that that they have they have advantages at coach uh, on offense, especially uh, and potentially on defense as well. And, and so I think ultimately it's a Niners victory. Yeah, I, I think if they lose this game, it's the the scenario that that plays out is Aaron Rodgers is incredible and Jimmy has a couple terrible mistakes. Yeah, like a couple really yeah. bad turnover worthy throws um, that that actually do pay off and for the Packers defense and become turnovers and, yep. and set them up with some extra possessions. And, uh, and Rogers is fantastic. Like if, if we're looking back next week at a loss for the 49ers, like I would be shocked if it's, that's not the reason why. So if the Niners win, who is it that you think they will face in the Super Bowl? Oh, Kansas city. Come on. Oh, you don't think that Derek Henry is going to run for the 190 yards? And- <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tennessee, great story. It's been a lot of fun. Tannehill's been fun. Like, if they win this game, man, that that that's just, like I I just don't I just don't see it. I don't see why. Like Tannehill has been. Don't get me wrong. Has been good. Uh, has made some good throws. Um, they they get the they, they've been following the formula. Get the lead earlier. Let Tannehill you know do a little yeah. bit early on. Lean on the run game to run it out. Um, you know, they've been solid defensively, but I, I just don't see the, like the overall talent level there. Um, I, the, the quarterback discrepancy in that game is just huge to me. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, the worst thing that Tennessee could do is go up by any number of points because then Kansas city is just going to start throwing. I the mean, ball. they're just going to start throwing anyway. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter. Yeah. They like, that's just what they do. Right. You see What um, happens when you just start passing and, and you abandon the run altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God. Yeah. Watching them just go from down three scores to they're going to be up double digits in one quarter, like yeah. literally in the span of a quarter. Yeah. Go from down three scores to up multiple scores. It's the most ridiculous uh, thing I've ever seen. Is just fucking wild. Yeah. yeah I, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. If the if the Niners win, uh, I am I'm desperately hoping to play the Titans in in that game. Yes. Um, would be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I very much expect the Chiefs to to win that game. Yeah. Well, that does it this week for the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, that'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, go Niners. <laughs>